Hello, my name is Joel Ingram, and I am the Midlife Crisis Man and host of the Crisis That Crushing It podcast. Today I have with me Barrett Leslie, with a background in film and animation, a math degree in fractal research. His journey took him to film school, where he became accidentally enlightened, which set him on the path of meditation. From here, his interest took him to learning maths to enable him to logically deduce and develop technology toward the end of transhumanism. Barrett Leslie, welcome to the show. I'm just looking at your bio. Um, you, you've done lots, and you look really young. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm 39, and I've done, like, a lot of weird stuff. So I spent, like, uh, you know, like the finding yourself or trying to figure out the meaning of life or crap like that. I spent a long time on that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how far back you want me to go if you want me to go all the way back because you mentioned some stuff about childhood and all that stuff. Uh, but um, basically, basically, I'll give you the, a short version or a version. Okay, uh, whatever you comfortable with. <laughs> so, so, so when I was a kid, I had a lot of uh, unexplainable experiences, I guess you would uh, say, like visions and expanded awareness. And like I would stare at grass for until like my vision would go weird and I just see patterns and, and things like that. And, uh, but after a while I realized that like other kids weren't doing that, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, they're, they're, they're playing with like little He-Man and stuff like that. So maybe I should get into that. And, uh, then when I was in, but I always like kind of thought about that aspect of myself. And then I had like some traumatic events where I was stabbed and I was laid up for like, for like four months or something where I couldn't walk, couldn't bathe myself. It was, you know, I was basically just, uh, and so, but I couldn't avoid myself anymore. Like I couldn't keep myself occupied and not deal with what those deeper level of experiences were. And so I like, I had to sit there and think about it because I couldn't go anywhere. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of like dark, deep days of listening to Pink Floyd and stuff, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, so, uh, eventually that got me to the point where I was like, you know, I was at, I was at school for history and like nine 11 happened. And I remember the class turned to turn towards me and they were like, uh, they wanted me to say the prayer for the thing, like, cause they were like, the teacher was late coming in. She'd been at a meeting. They're calling off school because of it. And then like, they were like, we should have a prayer. It was a religious school. It was Baptist. And like, everybody looked at me and I was like, this is a problem. Like, uh, you realize, you realize praying a little too hard is what got us into this situation. Right. And, and, uh, uh, so I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And then like, I, I, it forced me to ask the question, like, what am I doing here? And if I could do anything, what would I do? And the, what I thought up was I'll go to film school and I'll make movies and show people that these levels of experiences are possible. Right. I ended up doing well at film school. Um, but at the, it was what ended up happening is I started having those experiences started coming back, but like super intense. Cause I've never been that creative and had that much stress. Cause I was in charge of like 30 people and doing a project that should take like a few months to do within a period of like a week and a half. And, uh, so I just started going crazy. Like my mind was like, I got to do this, blah, blah, blah. You know, I started having experiences I couldn't explain. 
And so I got some job offers and things like that. My plan was to move out to Hollywood and work my way up and become a famous film director, right? And then I could explore those things. Uh, But I was like, I got to deal with this now. And so my plan was I just took the money I had saved up and I got a place with a couple of buddies to go uh, uh, up in Maine. And that's where the film school was. And just was like, I'm going to go bass fishing every day and figure out what the hell's going on in my head. Cause, cause you know, I mean, my, my dad never took me fishing. It was like a dream of mine to be able to learn how to fish. And, uh, and plus I was the only thing I could think of to just calm my mind. And so I do that. I'd get up every morning, like crack of dawn, I'd go bass fishing and I'd, you know, sit there and be like, I hope my mind clears up. And, uh, one day I found this, uh, I found this, uh, little, uh, cassette tape, um, of like an old cassette tape, audio tape or whatever. And it was a Buddhist monks chanting Tibetan monks. Okay. And it was in my, uh, my mom had left it in the car cause it was her car previously and my grandmother's car. And so I was like, what the hell is this? Put it in cause I didn't have any music radios busted. And so I was like, uh, and search chanting Om Mani Pada on there. <laughs> I, was I was listening like, to that the other day. <laughs> hey, it's crazy, huh? They get deep into it and they get there. Like what? And and so like that's what I started doing. I started making fun of it. Like I was just like just oh, you know, sort of going along with the sounds and making fun of it. And then eventually, like, got into a zone with it. And I was like, man, this is pretty out there stuff. And then I didn't think about it. Um, and. Uh, the next morning, like I woke up uh, to go fishing and something inside of me, like some intuitive voice or whatever was like meditate. And I was like, instead of, instead of questioning it or anything, I was like, uh, I don't meditate. And it's like meditate. I was like, all right. So I thought back to like when I was 12, I took a yoga class with my mom uh, at like a, medical facility or something. And then at the end of it, they would sit and close their eyes and follow the breath. And they said, that's meditation. So I was like, that's meditation. And so I did that. I closed my eyes, followed my breath. And like, I was just swamped with thoughts and feelings and just craziness from working on my set and everything. And like, I started digging deeper and deeper into those experiences and like was looking at them and I was like, what the hell is this? Like, what is this thing? Like it would be a thought feeling form image. And I dig through the next one. I was like, what the fuck? Where's this shit coming from? You know, like why the fuck is all this crazy shit going on in my head? And like all these images and just insane feelings, thoughts, and just, you know, just circulating like cycles. And I was like, I started digging. And then I, they started getting looser and looser. And I was like, what's behind this one? What's behind this one? Just start digging. And then eventually just poof like the bottom dropped out and I had this experience, what people refer to as like pure being or oneness um, or nothingness or everything at the same time, whatever, just uh, empty space, but filled. And it was like the most foreign experience, but the most uh, genuine or remembered experience I'd ever had. And I was like, and I, you know, I'd remember that it existed in me. And I was like, if this exists, that changes everything. Like that changes everything I know about my moment to moment experience of reality. Mm -hmm. If this experience is, is a possible experience. 
And so every morning, like I was like, I want more of this. So every morning I'd get up uh, to go bass fishing. So I went ahead and went bass fishing that day. And then every morning I would get up, I'd sit down and meditate and go bass fishing. Get up, meditate, go bass fishing. You know, I was doing it golden hour because that's when the fish bite. And, you know, over time, like those little experiences of that oneness or whatever would kind of start to permeate my experiences while I was bass fishing. Nice. And then I remember, and then, I, yeah, and it was, it was, but I, you know, I didn't know anything about this stuff at the time. Uh, you know, I'd taken that one yoga class and, uh, I remember one day I cast my arm or like I was casting, right. And my arm did it on sound, right? Like I didn't cast and I was like, that's fucking weird. You know, I was like, that's kind of weird. And then like, and then like a couple of days later it happened again. I was like, that, that shit's getting weird. And, uh, you know, a few days later, like it just started happening more and more. Uh, and eventually it got to the point where, uh, 24 hours a day I was witnessing my body do things. So like, I would walk into a store or something, you know, and it would just be like, I'd be experiencing it, but I'd be experiencing it from a perspective of witnessing is what they call it. Right. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought it was fucking crazy. And, uh, <laughs> you they know? don't teach you this stuff and, in school, do they? <laughs> no, nah, no. Nah. I mean, I can, I wasn't smart enough to know like, dude, you're generating that experience and you're having it more and more, you know, I was just like, this shit's spontaneously happening. And, uh, so, um, but it happened like 24 hours a day where I would sleep and dream at the same time. So like I would, I would lay down, close my eyes to go to sleep and I'd watch the body fall asleep, but my awareness was still there. And then the dreams would happen, but they wouldn't overshadow that experience. And then I'd wake up and I'd be like, that shit just happened. And it kept going. So I just thought I was insane. I thought I'd lost my damn mind. And so I, I, I was like, I got to figure out what's going on here. And so I went, you know, I was super scared of modern psychology. My mom was a psychologist and I'd been to a psychologist a couple of times growing up because of her issues and uh, just rubbed me the wrong way. Right. Like tried to talk me into things that weren't true and shit like that. Uh, so I was like, I kind of went towards the esoteric um, and my mom's like a faith healer. And I, I got into that for a while. And I was like, this shit ain't it. And like, and I got into all these various meditations, spiritual teachers for a period of about like seven years or so, uh, and going and, uh, asking people questions and, and they'd have like a little bit of the story, you know what I'm saying? They'd be like, eh, and then, and then they put some bullshit in there. Like, Oh, well, it's fucking chakras or it's the damn universe or sound, or they'd make all this horse shit up some, some bullshit they're selling. And I'd be like, okay, well that sucks. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He knows a little bit. And then I ended up in the transcendental meditation movement out in Iowa. Uh, I was looking for a place where I could continue my education and meditate at the same time. And it worked out and I, I bought fully into their model. And it was cause, cause the mantra that they were using was sh had already shown up uh, in my meditations in Maine, like years earlier. 
And so I was like, this has to be what's going on, right? Like how could, how could they know that sound before I ever knew crap about them really? Mm. And, and, and then they had, uh, they had this model of higher states of consciousness that matched my experiences to a T and they had some brain research and their model for enlightenment was, um, that, uh, the brain, you have this experience, you meditate and you have this experience of alpha coherence in the frontal lobe of the brain. And I was like, okay, that's scientific because that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something that is objective that you can measure that's repeatable, systematic, and not based on a, a dogma, right? Although those was based on a dogma as well. Uh, and so I was like, so this is, this is fairly close and this matches it. Right. And then once that experience is sustained 24 hours a day, that's enlightenment. And so at that time they only had like a few cases where that was really happening. Um, uh, but at this point I had, I'm starting to question things and, uh, I was taking a math degree and a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a guy showed up, a math teacher or physics professor, a uh, great guy. I got to uh, talk with him at some point, but uh, he was kind of not necessarily anti the movement because that's what they call it, the transdental movement and whatever. Uh, and so, but he was, he was a transhumanist. Okay. Right. And I'd never heard of this. I never heard of this idea. And, and my whole time that I'd been there, the problem that I saw was that they were just making some shit up about science. Like some of their science was really good in this model for the brain and stuff. I think they're on the right path. And, uh, just, just to be clear on that model for the brain, that's only TM the alpha coherence, other models like mindfulness and all these other meditation techniques, uh, don't necessarily use that model, but they do talk about coherence in the brain, but it's usually a different brain wave. Okay. So like gamma or theta or delta. So that's specific to TM, uh, for good or bad. Uh, but I think the model could work for, for all of meditation or coherence or whatever. So, um, and so I was noticing that, like I took, I started researching brain uh, neuroscience on my own and physics on my own. And I was doing the math degree and I was finding that like some of the shit they're saying is a little too fucking far out there and probably not true. And uh, they were believing it religiously which was the problem. And then this guy comes along, he tells me about transhumanism and that what I was looking for was something that would take the dogma and the make it repeatable, systematic, scientific, and uh, take a belief system out of it. Right. Right. Cause I wasn't looking for, I wasn't looking for a belief system. I just want to know what the hell was going on and how it works. You want the mechanics. And it, yeah, the mechanics of it and to make it repeatable to where you don't, you don't have to like, um, like a penicillin shot, right? I can shoot you up with penicillin and it, you know, has a success rate and things like that. Right. Uh, but you don't have to believe in the business of penicillin. You yes. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so you got to take that belief out of it. Uh, like I have to believe in Dharma and whatever, you know? Uh, so anyways, he, he introduced that idea to me. I was like, dude, that's the freaking philosophy I've been looking for. Cause like my two questions I've always asked in life are like, how long can I live? Which is directly related to transhumanism. 
And I didn't think other people ever thought that. And the other one was because I don't want to die. You know, I think that's a pretty basic question that most people just are fucking up. You know what I'm saying? Most people are like, well, maybe if I pray really hard, this shit won't happen. You know, uh, it may, but probably won't. Uh, and then the other is, um, you know, expanding my awareness and sustaining it, sustaining it uh, where I'm not living as a monk. Cause yeah. I can sustain those levels of experience if I remove myself from society because the society pulls me out of it and like eating poorly and interacting with people and alcohol and uh, just stress is what removes you away from that awareness. Uh, and so a way to sustain it without uh, having to leave society um, and making it accessible for other people. Cause I don't think, I don't think like, you know how you have like Olympic athletes, right. And they're just predisposed genetically to be like a fast runner. You know what I'm saying? He still has to do the work and get there, but you know, like I'll never be a fucking Olympic athlete of any kind, really. But like, if, if I wouldn't, I wouldn't be, I sure as I wouldn't be a runner. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's like my worst thing. And so, uh, that I don't, I think potentially maybe my brain has some neuroplasticity in it that allowed me to have those types of experience at a quicker rate and sustain them better. You know what I'm saying? That's the only thing I can come up with uh, because I know people who've meditated for years, they've done similar things and it just, it doesn't, it doesn't last and it's not sustainable and they can't achieve it for long periods of time. Whereas for me, it's just like, what the hell you mean? You didn't just fucking become enlightened. Like what's wrong with you? You know? Mm. Uh, and, and so, but, but also I didn't have the intellectual understanding to make sense of my world. Right. And so I, so I rejected it and pushed it away. And it was like, this is, I, I, if I do these very low level things like eating cheeseburgers and being fat, I'll, you know, and create a bunch of stress for myself. Uh, but I'm going in the other direction now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the idea. So the overall idea. So then I went and got a math degree and was looking at like, uh, folding fractals and some nanotech, cool. uh, where this, yeah, yeah where this, cause I had to get, I had to get the hell out of the cult down in Iowa. <laughs> Like, like I had that experience one day. I was like, I'm in a fucking cult. I got to get out of here. Like, you know, I was like told off the leader of the organization and left. Uh, but like, it's, you know, uh, and people tell you it's, it's not a bad cult. Like they're not abusing people that I know of or anything like that. It's just, they believe in some made up bullshit. Uh, and, but a lot of it's good. Like I think the technique's good. Uh, itself. I think it, it has, it does help people. Meditation does uh, that specific one too. And, um, but I've moved into more following of the breath. I think that's uh, more useful and practical uh, and more secular. And so, um, uh, but you know, the evidence isn't fully out there on which one is best because everybody's biased who's doing the research. So anyways, I went to the the math thing. Uh, if you want me to just keep going with it or. Yeah. Yeah. I'm soaking all this up. Yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay. So I, I ended up going to Illinois tech cause I was looking at going there for grad school, but I was like, I got to get out of here now. So I quit my math degree there. I got like a math minor and a physics minor and a Vedic science minor and you know, and just got a communications degree and got out because I was like, I can't be in a damn cold anymore. I had like a freak out existential moment. And it was, 
and it was it was it was bad like uh it was bad because i i lost all trust of myself uh i mean like on a on like as much trust as you can lose in yourself because i had related my deepest level of self experience like that what they would call atma or pure being or whatever to that technique and to that cult. And I was rejecting that. So I had to reject that inner part of myself. So it got to the point to where like, I would literally be crossing the street and I would flip a coin to see whether or not I was going to cross. Cause I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my eyes. I didn't trust, I didn't trust my ability to discern reality or even if I was in it. Like, okay. it got bad. So you, 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 you yeah. as if you would, just removed and you weren't sure whether you were in or out of it. Well, no, no, not like that. It was, I was, I mean, I didn't really question reality like that. I questioned my ability to make decisions. Okay. If, if, if everything I'd put my staked my life on was, was wrong, how can I be right about maybe I'm fucking wrong about whether or not I should cross the road right now. I mean, it was, it was, you know what I'm saying? Like it was just, yeah. I fundamentally que- questioned myself for a period of time uh, for a couple of years where I was just like, I just don't trust anything that I do. And so I, so I, I, I delved into math and logic to redevelop literally those neural connections uh, to where I was comfortable enough that I had enough logical skills to interact in a reasonable way with the world. And then, you know, beyond that, you know, to develop some reasoning skills. So how did you, how did you discern that for yourself? I mean, obviously you were, you were, you were obviously practicing or you had to see something to make you believe to trust in yourself again. I don't know. Women help. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, cause I, cause I'd written off women for like, a long time like became a monk and celibate and stuff but like uh um it was it, it wasn't it wasn't like aha i have it you know it took time it was little things like i would test the waters on certain things like put the coin down don't pull out a coin and and walk across the street uh, when you believe you should you know maybe not walking in the traffic but yeah. something something as, as stupid as like ordering food or right decision about this or something like that, you know, and I would try to defer to people as much as possible and put decisions on other people because I wasn't comfortable. I'd lost all trust in myself. Uh, but yeah, it's just a slow process of learning to trust myself again. Um, I can't say it like that was the moment that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a process of years. Uh, yeah, but that's you know, I'm obviously still, What's that? I said that's massive to you know to be, have that awareness uh, that, that you've lost faith in yourself and then to actively seek to regain it. I mean, some people might be tempted just you know go to pieces or so that's a, that's a that's, no, that's, that's, that's a massive awareness, isn't it, for yourself? You know, and, and a massive pat on the back as well. You know? Yeah, yeah. It uh, it, it took. Uh, I think someone just left or something. I don't know if you heard. So I don't, it's, the floor shook. I don't know. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it was. I mean, I never think of it in those terms because I don't really talk about it. Obviously, like there's not that many people where I'm like, hey, you remember that time I joined a cult and completely lost trust in myself? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not. A, it's not. An, it's not an opener. Uh, but um, 
<laughs> you, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe a second conversation, <laughs> but like, it's, it's, um, yeah, it definitely is definitely big for me. Like, and yeah. And like, uh, you know, I didn't really have anyone I could confide in with it. You know what I'm saying? Like I confided in some friends a little bit. I went to a therapist for a little while and then he turned out to be shit and I was teaching him things. I'm like, what the fuck am I paying my money for? Like you idiot. You know what I'm saying? Like he just wanted to hear stories. And I was like, yeah, they're cool stories, but fucking like, you have like shit it. advice. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe I should be advising you. What the fuck? You don't know anything. Uh, you just read some books and you're just sitting and listening. Um, which, which that's part of it. You just need someone to listen while you work through it. Your damn self. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, um, so I did that and, uh, my, my family wasn't that helpful. Um, tried to rely on that. So I moved back here to deal with that. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I've never really thought about how, how I've gotten over it. Like I've never really fully sat down and, and thought through it. So it's kind of like I'm stumbling here cause it's, yeah, no, it's fine. No, one's, no one's really ever asked me that question. I've never thought about it too much. I've just, you know, s- slowly and subtly been like, I got to fucking trust myself a little bit more. Cause that's a massive and going back to med- Yeah. Yeah. Going back, going back and, t- uh, and, and because I quit meditating for a while cause I didn't trust that process either. And I went back to meditating again, uh, part of the time I was in Chicago and really got back into it when I moved back to Knoxville. And so, so when I was in Chicago, I, uh, I focused on uh, doing good research. So I'm good at, I'm good at the math research. I started doing fractals and stuff like that. Cause I'm that imagination skill is useful for imagining things in higher dimensional space and abstract crap. Okay. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Cause my brain's flexible in that regard. And I was already doing that crap anyways. Might as well do it with math. And uh, I ended up doing uh, fractal research, and I got interested in, um, uh, like, I would do these different levels of fractal research, but it was abstract, and people were like, uh, this isn't useful because it's an applied math degree. And so they were supportive, but they wouldn't actually fund me, and, you know, they were supportive it would let me come to the talks and the researches and things like that, but they needed some application. And every, every time I'd go. So I went to like the, the largest undergraduate research symposium in the country. Right. And I ended up, I ended up winning it one year. And, uh, they had, uh, every time I would talk to people about my research, they'd be, uh, there's this property of more, uh, more surface area, less volume. So it's like a paradox, right? Uh, on these fractals and the engineers would always say, uh, yeah, I can explain it if you want, but uh, so just trying to imagine less, you know, more surface area, less volume is. <laughs> so, so think of, so I'll walk you through the process. I'll walk you through uh, one dimension, right? So in one dimension, like the simplest fractal or derive set is uh, take a unit line, right? It's called the canner sets. The first one. So you take a unit line, divide it into thirds. It's, it's simple stuff. And then you just remove that middle third, right? Okay. So you got those two pieces, right? So you got two little pieces now. And then that's your first iteration. And then take those two other little pieces, divide them into thirds, throw out the middle piece, right? 
Okay. Now take those, take those two, I think it's four pieces, right? You just keep doing that. And what you end up with, uh, if you iterate that to infinity, right? You just keep doing it, keep doing it. And at infinity, mathematically, you can do it. You can't do it really, right? Uh, what you end up with is um, infinite number of points, right? Because you sit there, they turn into little points, and you just keep splitting them. And with zero length. So they have no length to them. And so it's like a paradox, something that can't happen, right? Okay. Because if, if it's a fucking point, it has some length, right? And, uh, but mathematically, you can show that or prove it. And so that's the first one. And then the second one is uh, the Sierpinski uh, square. So you take a square and you divide it into uh, three this way. So cut it this way. So you got thirds this way, right? Yep. And then cut and then cut it into thirds the other way, right? So cut it into thirds that way. And then so that gives you nine little squares, right? Yep. You just chop it up into nine little squares. So you just remove that center little square out the middle. And that'll give you eight squares around, right? And so that's your first iteration. And then you just repeat that process on each of those squares, right? At the same time. So I would take out, I'd divide each of those squares into nine and then take out those little squares and that'd be your second iteration. And then those sub squares and you just, it, it's self-similar. It keeps going to infinity, right? And so what you end up there is you end up with zero surface area, right? Because you're removing all those middles out and eventually there's no middle left but you still have a little trace of a line around those middles and you end up with uh, infinite uh, length. You end up with an infinite length around those little squares. So if you add up all the length, it's infinite, right? And so that's the paradox there. Once again, mathematically, not actually. And then you move, you move to 3d and you take a cube, right? Yeah. So this was the guy, this was the guy at my university or, what it was the math logo. So he had taught there. He died in like the eighties or nineties or something, but it was called the Minger sponge. And so what he did here was he, he took a cube and he chopped it into thirds in three directions. So down side horizontal. Right. And so what that gives you is, uh, it literally gives you a, a Rubik's cube. Yep. That's what so I you know what a Rubik's cube looks like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so, so it gives you a Rubik's cube and you have uh, 27 little cubes, I think it is. I may have that number right. But, but you remove a cube from each, like, like how you took that square out of the, uh, the little square out, you take that little cube out of each face. Okay. The center cube. So, so there's six faces. So you take all those six out and then there's one little cube in the middle. Like if you go down three, there's one sitting in the middle. Yeah. So you pull that out, it makes like a little cross, like a three-dimensional cross. You, I'm messing that up. So you pull, you pull that out, and and then that's your first iteration, right? Is that with all with those holes from each side? You can think of it that way. Okay. And then for the second iteration, you take each cube, and then subdivide it and pull out those little crosses on each one. That's your second iteration. And you keep doing that process to infinity and that gives you the Minger sponge. So um, what happens is imagine that cube, right? You take that cube, you take the center, someone's vacuuming. That's what's going on. And so you take, <laughs> I got the earplugs in, I can't hear. 
And so you take uh, that center cube out, right? When I take that cube out, I take out some volume. Like imagine that first iteration or whatever. I just take that cube out. And so I have uh, that much volume leaves the object. And, uh, but I only take the surface area of the top of that cube away. But I gain one, two, three, four pieces of surface area on the sides of that cube, right? Okay. So what's ha- so what's happening at every iteration, you're decreasing the volume and increasing the surface area. So when you iterate to infinity, the surface area, uh, sorry, the volume goes to zero because you take all the pieces out, but the surface area goes to infinity. Uh, wow. So that's the little, that's, that's the little paradox, right? Can't really happen, but mathematically you can show that. But for an object that is, you only do it like say five iterations or two or three iterations. That's useful because you're increasing surface area and decreasing the volume of the object. And, and so when I would talk about my research to engineers, they'd be like, tell me that again. They'd be like, you get more surface area and less volume. And I'd be like, yeah, like whatever dude. It's just some abstract mathematical crap I'm playing with. But yeah, sure. And, uh, and they'd be like, that's the problem we have on the nanoscale. Okay. Right. So I'd be like, I can, I can. So, I, so every time I'd hear that, I'd be like, damn, I got to make an application on the nanoscale because like, I'm not getting funded. Nobody respects me mathematically because it's not applicable. You know, they're like, that's cool and interesting. Barrett can, play with little objects and stuff, but you know, but it wasn't like, it's not useful. And so what I found was uh, on the nanoscale, the two problems that I found was uh, batteries. And I don't know, I didn't know crap about batteries. I probably should have gone for batteries. Uh, but like, cause they, cause my school does research in batteries, Tesla, you know, turns out it's important. But like, uh, <laughs> you know, I may, I may not have made the right choice. But but like, uh, and then the other problem that I was looking at was um, uh, that one seemed too complicated for me. I was like, I'd have to learn a bunch of physics and batteries and crap. And uh, the other problem that I looked at, and I did look at that temporarily, and there was this thing called the nano leaf, and I researched that and met the guy who invented it and consulted him. But anyways, this whole other thing. So the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, the other application was with fractals. This, this physicist guy out in Washington was, he'd figured out a method to uh, find fractals in He's my favorite painter. I can't think of his name right now. He would fling paint. He's one of my favorite painters. Uh, it'll come to me later, but anyways, it's this fractal. He would just fling paint and it turns out he figured out a way to analyze it. And it turns out dude was just painting fractals naturally. Uh, and so he's like, yeah, yeah, just slinging paint. And so uh, I was like, dude, that shit's cool. And so I started looking into what he was doing, and he was trying to come up with a a way to help vision. So like people who are blind, he wanted to hook a microchip to their uh, to their eyeball, right? So that, and but it, the neurons of the eyeball, and so he could uh, you know program it or whatever. And the problem they were having was. Uh, neurons are curvy, right? And microchips are flat. So uh, he was, he thought, well, what if I, uh, he's like, well, neurons are curvy. What if I find something that's curvy and can fit to it? 
And he, he looked at the neuron. He said, well, neurons are curvy, self-similar. They're, they're curvy in the same way all over, kind of, right? So he was like, that's kind of like a fractal. So what if I find some fractal object that can fold to it instead of like trying to figure out the surface area here and here, just make it self-similar to where it hits up enough. And so what he did is he came up with this little, uh, so they do self-assembly on the nanoscale. So it just means like you take a box and you fold it, cardboard box, and you figure out a way to fold it through either lasers or heat or something or chemical. And so like uh, he figured out how to make a self-assembly nano folding flower he called it. And so it was just like had these little petals and it would fold like that. And so that was his little thing. And it was like, it has the properties of self-similarity and like a fractal. Well, no one had ever folded a fractal mathematically. Mathematically, it just hadn't been done. It's not that it can't be done. It's just no one had done it, but he had had already created some application. And so I was like, dude, I'll fold a freaking fractal and I'll prove mathematically that it's possible. And then that'll help open up that technology. It won't be the technology, but it'll kind of set an ideal case of how you can fold a fractal. So I sat down and tried to do the Minger sponge because that was the one I was most familiar with. And that shit's hard. Like I, I couldn't do it. Like, I'm not saying I can't do it, but I, I couldn't do it at the time. I was like, this shit's hard. And so I failed. And then I was like, well, what's the simplest thing I can fold? And it turns out it's a Serpinski tetrahedron so the guy who started those little cubes or the squares he started the squares so he did he did a triangle i think before he did the square so it's an evolution it goes canter set he's he did it then the next guy comes along this polish guy and he's like here and they're all going crazy i forgot to mention that they all think they found the mind of god and so like and so like i found that out after i was deep in the research like, damn it <laughs> did it again but like uh um the uh he is Serpinski, so you you just uh, extrapolate or whatever, and you make it into a, a 3D thing. And so for like one of my first researches is I, I had worked on that. I created a new set of fractals, took two different fractal-making methods and combined them and created a new method so that you could call them a set or something. That's a whole other story. So that's the research thing that I did good at. Um, and... Uh, you have a, so a Serpinski tetrahedron is just a pyramid, right? You just think of it as a three-sided pyramid with the fourth side on the bottom, right? Okay. And then, and then it's not as straightforward as which, there's two methods, uh, and I can explain those methods. I don't know how detailed you want me to go into this math part. Um, don't blow my mind. <laughs> No, no, it's not all that complicated. I mean, I'm, I understand it. So I made it, I dumbed everything down. Right? So, uh, so, so that I could win, so I could explain it in like five minutes to people who are judging me. Uh, and so like, um, so there's two methods for making the, uh, the, the fractals, right? Uh, one method or two main methods. So the first method was what I was telling you about where you, uh, remove holes. Yeah. Right. Where you, you take a, and you remove a hole and that's called the derived set method. Right. And, uh, that was before it was termed fractal. So Mandelbrot came up with that term in the seventies when computers came out. Cause mentally, uh, that was the simplest way to do it was the derived set. But then when computers came out, you can just iterate shit 
and you don't have to think about it. Once you figure out how to do it, it'll just do that process. And so he came up with something called a fractal. He coined that term. So, uh, so the iterated, so he came up with something called the iterated function system. I don't know if he came up with it, but yeah, I think he did. So uh, iterated function system. And so what that does is it repeats itself. So, uh, Let's go with the pyramid because I think it's pretty easy to explain the IFS with it. So say I have a pyramid, right? And if I remove some geometrically perfect mathematical hole out of the center of it, that'd be the derived set method. Okay. Right. But, but maybe it's a little funny and hard to figure out what the fuck that hole is. So what I'm going to do is I just, I take that pyramid, I shrink it down to half size, right? And then I copy and paste it. So I, I take one and I put it beside this one. I put one over here and then that forms like three little pyramids on the bottom and they have a peak up top. I set a little ha another half size pyramid on top of it that touches at those three points and you get the uh, Zelda symbol, right? The, okay. uh, what is it? Uh, the, what's it called? The, I, I don't no, know. Just, no, I know the Triforce, the, the Triforce, the Triforce, <laughs> right? And so that's, that's the IFS method. Right. Okay. And you just shrink down to a half and then copy and paste. Right. Yeah. And so that's, uh, so that's that. So, so what, what my method was, was, uh, two steps back in steps forward. So what I did is I took both. Cause like when you start to do these other types of fractals, it's hard to figure out what that hole is for the drive set method. Like I was, I was saying. So what you want to do is you, you use that IFS method. You do the copy, you do the copy and paste and you figure out what's going on. Right. And then you figure out what that hole is. Right. And that, that'll allow you to figure out what the hole is. And then you, uh, and then, so you take two steps back. So it's two steps back. You create the fractal that way. And then what, and then you take the volume and figure out what that hole is. You use a function to take that. And then you use that to do the derived set method so that, Everything is systematic and using a common method. It's just, it's important mathematically, functionally. I don't know if it's useful, but uh, so that's what won me. The research was that method, the two steps back in steps forward method. So anyways, I had some, I had five and I did that with a set of five fractals, the platonic set of objects like the, the tetrahedron, the octahedron, the cube, the, uh, dodecahedron and icosahedron. So like those have been used. Those are like the first 3d objects or whatever that were mathematically and like they've been used for modeling everything. So everybody kind of knows what they are and they're related to Plato. He said the whole world was formed out of them and stuff like that. So, so it's cool. Uh, and, um, so anyways, I had some familiarity with them. So I, I was like, this, I know that the simplest 3d object or fractal that I know of is the tetrahedron. So I, I was like, I'll fold the tetrahedron. And so I just, I literally cut out some paper and was like, dude, I'll just freaking figure out a way. And I cut it up to where I figured out how you could cut it up to fold it into one. And then I started like made up all these complicated models and crap. And then I went to my math professor and I was like, yeah, I got like six different ways to do it and all this stuff. And like, it's crazy. He's like, why don't you just fold that? right there. I was like, Oh, 
yeah, that's the simplest damn way you can fold the thing. And so it was, it was super simple. It was just like, it was like, okay, so I'll fold that. And I folded that up. I, I spent some time on it and I figured out, so I needed to come up with a paper and, you know, I went through the research process and I didn't do as well with it. I didn't win any awards, I don't think, but I showed it in more places and things like that. I got too refined and too businesslike to where they didn't really like me in the math competitions. I didn't trust me. I wore a, search, a suit and had slick back hair and they're like, I don't trust that guy. <laughs> like, but, but, but when I came, I came in with a bow tie and like mismatching socks and corduroy pants and like my shirt halfway untucked, they're like, that guy's smart. <laughs> <laughs> So like I would play, I would play to their weaknesses, but the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, the, uh, folding the fractal. So I needed to prove three things. I needed to prove number one, that it could be done. Number two, that I had an algorithm that was repeatable so that other people could do it. And then number three, prove how many foldings there are. Okay. Uh, so, so I did the first two and then the third one is, uh, so what happens is like the first iteration, you have like two ways it can be done or something like that. And then on the second iteration, and I'm off by one because you usually count by zero or whatever. But so on the second iteration, uh, I was, uh, it was like 30, let's say something like that. And then by the third iteration, it was like 200,000, 280,000, right? So it was growing not only exponentially, but much larger. And so uh, by the third iteration, it was the algorithm that I had to calculate it was just to, it would shut my computer down and didn't have software and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, I can't figure this. I couldn't, so, so that method wasn't working. Uh, it, I think that method would work. So I need like the first three iterations to prove it's like an induction proof that you use to prove it, which is super simple, but you need like two or three iterations. And all I had like two. Uh, and I couldn't get that third one. So I, I, whatever, I left math and moved back to Tennessee and I haven't dealt with it since really. I want to, want to figure it out and solve it. So that was the idea is that I would have some type of thing. So uh, going back to transhumanism, you know, you could use that little nano folding flower or something similar, some sort of nanobot. Uh, to it's a conceptual idea. It hasn't been put out. So I read this book, uh, Ray Kurzweil's How to Create a Mind. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with him. I, or... I know. I know the name. Okay, so he's like the director of engineering or something at Google, and he's so. Anyways, he uh, he did um, how to how to create a mind, and so he goes into talking about uh you know there's this idea in transhumanism that someday we'll download our brains into a computer and escape mortality right mm. and that's one level of thinking about it now i don't understand that level i'll be honest with you like i i'm for it but i don't see it happening and i don't know how it happened i'm ignorant in that regard uh maybe one day i'll figure it out and see what the hell they're talking about but i don't as of now um uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I like Tron. I don't know if you ever saw Tron, but it's basically that, you know, I love Tron. I'd be for that shit, you know, put me on the light grid. I'm for it. Uh, but, uh, but I just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't know if you can take something into nothing and nothing back into something or whatever the hell they said. And so like, uh, um, 
the the idea that he puts forth, I was like, I don't know if it has a name. It has some name, but I don't know it. Um, uh, he uses the ship of Thaddeus to explain it. And so uh, that's an old Aesop. I don't know if it's Aesop, but it's an old paradox. Hence, I understand it, right? It's a paradox. And so, and so like, uh, but it makes practical sense. So let me explain the ship of Thaddeus. So the ship of Thaddeus is essentially, it's an old paradox Greek myth or something. So say you're in, uh, and I'm not doing it justice, but like, say you're in, uh, say you're in some port, right? And you have a ship and along the way you're traveling to another port, right? And along the way as you're crossing the ocean, you take a board off the ship and you replace it with a new board, right? And then you repeat that process and you keep doing it for every board on the ship, so you get to the point to where they're, you've replaced every board on the ship. They're all new boards. And then when you arrive at the new port, is it the same ship? That's the, that's the question. Right. Yeah. And so you can say, you can say, well, no, it's not the same ship because it's all new ship. Or you can say, yeah, it's, it never quits. It never quit sailing. Right. Like, so it's the same damn ship. Uh, but um, so that's the little paradox. And so he uses that to explain how we could uh, extend our lives and become transhuman or whatever. And so the idea is uh, like you could imagine. So, so, uh, so like currently we can print 3d livers, we can print, you know, various parts of the body, but it's still pretty gross and they're still working on transplanting them and, and things like that. But the idea is if, if that technology fully takes off, Right. Like if, if we figure out how to fully transplant and grow things, uh, why not create some sort of little nanobot that can you can ingest or inject or however you want to get it in there. And you can like say I need a new liver. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I take these nanobots and they slowly rebuild and replace my liver over a period of time. OK. See what I'm saying. And, and then you have. Then and you design those cells or replacement nanobots uh, to where they can be replaced or sustainable in some way, so that they have some indefinite maintenance that can survive longer than the human physiology, right? And so you do that not just for the liver; you do it for the entire body. And he and he's got some like philosophical arguments that I don't know or care about really, but like. Um, the idea is if I never lose. So, so the idea is kind of, I'm, this process is already happening. It's not an unnatural process because like our bodies are constantly replacing cells. Yeah. So there's the little saying of like over a seven year period or whatever, all my cells replace themselves. Right. I'm no longer Barrett. That was seven years ago. I'm a new Barrett because all my cells have replaced, but it, it's incremental and over time to where it doesn't just, you know, it's not like I'm here now and then I'm over here. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's the conundrum with the mind into the machine is it's here than there, but uh, evolution and biology and things like that tend to be a, a gradual process over time. And if you can do it, if you can do it over time, that's doable. Right. Like, I think that's a doable thing. It might not be the ideal or highest technology, but it would extend your life 
indefinitely if you could constantly be rebuilding yourself. Oh, can I ask um, you something? So that's, yeah. So touching on that, that's what I was going to say to you. Then I've, I've read somewhere that you're not the same person after so many years. So if our cells regenerate, how come it would, would the nanobots then generate a clean cell or um, would it just mimic the cell that's currently there? Because I'm thinking of things like cancer and stress and all these other different things. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you, have you done any, any touching on that? I haven't. See, and this is, this is where I'm weak. I'm weak in uh, understanding um, the, the immortality aspect or life extension. Like I have a lot of understanding of the awareness type of stuff. Mm. Uh, but I've, I've only briefly understood, so I can't make any like, no, 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 it's just true claims. I can, I can theoretically think about it, but like, um, I mean, ideally, right. Like you would design something, you would design something that didn't get cancer or you would yeah. design something that was impenetrable to known diseases. But you're going to have some other problems that show up, right? Like there's always new, it's not like, oh, we created an ideal perfect world. You know, no. there's going to be problems with the technology and like early adopters may suck, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so I want to adopt it, but I don't necessarily want to be the first guy to adopt it. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's a early adoption is whatever. So, but people are already doing crap like this. Like they're putting, uh, RFID chips, they're putting microchips in their arm, like really dedicated assholes are like really? they're putting microchips, cutting nerves and putting, you know, it's like some crazy shit, buddy, you know, uh, but like they're dedicated. They're like, I'm on this transhumanist shit, you know, and, and like, I'm for it. Don't get me wrong. But like, and this goal of being a robot and all these things, that doesn't really mean that much to me. That what means to me is that, two things I'm looking for is to have the most expanded elevated experience possible all the freaking time. Well, being drawn out of it emotionally. Yeah. To where pain and suffering aren't even a thing. Like they're so minute that like, they're not a thing for your, the human experience. Cause I know that the human mind and brain can support that. And mm. if it can't, let's fucking build one that can, cause that shit sucks. And, uh, and the other one is, um, uh, you know, the other one is, is death, right? Like I want to live as long as possible. Now I'm not talking about like, I want to be an old bastard with a crippled, a crippled ass body or anything like that. No, I want to be healthy and I want to be healthier. Because yeah. if you can design something that's healthier than our physical, like we can already design vision that is better than our human eyeball. You know, why not have that vision? You know, like uh, it's, yeah. it's an evolution. It's an, it's an evolution of us when we integrate with technology. I mean, it's happening. It's not happening at the speed I want it to happen, uh, but it's happening at a speed, whether or not it includes me and I make it, who knows, but like, uh, you know, we have smart watches, smartphones, right? And and the amount of time that we interact with them and already using them for our brain, uh, essentially like, which is good and bad, right? Like we're becoming stupider and smarter at the same time. Right. Like, <laughs> I, right? like, like, like I could maybe tell, I could maybe tell you like uh, within a few seconds, like 
you know, when the ancient Egyptians ruled and like stories and facts about it just by looking on my smartphone, but I probably couldn't form an actual sentence that made sense and was spelled correctly and grammatically correct. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, like that just basic shit I've, uh, it, it screws with us on and, and like our attention span, that's the other problem with it. And that's why I think you need to expand your awareness because uh, as you're hit with more and more data and information, if your brain isn't functioning coherently, it just throws it out of balance. And so like you have all these people are just have like tension spans of like a few minutes. Like you, you'll see it just talking to people, you, you know, the younger they are. <laughs> the quicker they are. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, they're like, why are his fucking eyeballs over there? <laughs> like I'm, I, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, look I'm over fine. here, you little shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you just can't stay focused for more than a few seconds. And, and you know, part of that's just being young. Uh, but also the technology is, is certainly have an effect. So there's, there's negative aspects. And that's just one uh, of technology. And you have to acknowledge that. Um, and there's, there's whole groups out there in transhumanism that are like designed for the morals, the ethics, the philosophy. And I, it's not that I don't care about that. It's just that that's not my focus. I mean, yeah. I think someone needs to, to do that, the philosophy and figuring out, cause it's going to be a whole set of laws and, and I hate all that shit, but like, uh, just telling the story. So my, so my goal is to, uh, kind of the company that I formed is I'm using myself as a self experiment. How do I induce those experiences? And then I'm creating little workshops, uh, so that people can, you know, come up with something that's, that's palatable, something to where you can learn to meditate, you can expand your awareness. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and have that as just a introductory product. And then the second product is, um, going to basically more in depth and using the technology. So gathering the best technologies that's out there that people can have access to and doing like an eight week workshop with that. And then, Ultimately, what I'm working for is I have like a podcast thing and go around and interview people and find the leaders in these fields and the people who are developing this technology, right? Cool. And invest time and money and energy and then eventually tell that story and promote it um, so that people see this future in a realistic way. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the overreaching goal with ball links and all that. That's um, <laughs> I've, so I'm expecting you to touch on transhumanism. You've taken it to another level. And you mentioned like meditation and about being at the yeah. point where I think you said pain and suffering is like nothing. Although meditation, I feel sometimes meditation can get me to the point where I'm can emotionally disconnect. You're talking of another level, aren't you? Like there's um, is is a uh, I'm an NLP coach, so one of the things that we do in there is a shift in perspective, which is what you mentioned about being so far removed from uh, the situation that's generating that stress or or whatever, that you lose all the emotion and mental stress around it. So, like, if you were, what I would do if there's two people in a stressful situation, I'd take them to, fl to a fly on a wall and then take them to the moon and get him to be, look at the situation from the moon and give me a description of what's going on. And so to be in that situation and then 
be in the situation but be that detached is 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 that the is that the goal is because that seems like another level of awareness where pain and suffering are still going on but would it be a choice whether you detach or would it be automatic it'd be automatic so you know okay so so, uh and, and the thing is like I want some hard science here and I only have some loose science. Hmm. So for me to make, to make these claims, they're based on personal experience and uh, understanding, you know what I'm saying? And some science. Um, But I I think there's enough evidence that this is real and it does happen. I mean, you know, uh, it's once again, me not trusting my own personal experience, whatever. And so, uh, you talk about doing a visualization of, you know, I, I move my brain or I move my personal perspective to like the moon and I look down on it to where I'm not involved directly in that situation. Right. Mm. Um, and that's useful. Like I, I would say intelligence on one level is, you know, how many perspectives can you take simultaneously? Right. Um, and uh, one of the, One of the uh, one 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 of one of the ways to think about this is so it's it's considered it's called witnessing, right? So the idea is that the brain is uh, you you sit there and you meditate, right? You have this experience of oneness, right? And what you're doing is you're shifting, you're calming the brain down, and all those little ideas, thoughts, feelings, and things like that they kind of go away and the primary experience becomes that expanded sense of self. Right. And over time, repeating that, that becomes your primary focal point of awareness and sense of self. Okay. So any, so any emotion uh, or any visual stimulus, sound, anything like that is experienced subjectively right as something separate from that deeper sense of awareness okay that makes sense yeah it does make sense so so my deeper sense of awareness is not overshadowed by that sound or this feeling or this emotion so you can actually so your awareness is expanded so you can you can perceive those things better because normally your mind is is focused on like Ooh, I have this emotion and you might not hear the sound over here. Yeah. Right. And so in one sense, but there is still some disconnect uh, when you first get there because it's like the, you haven't figured it's like, you know, like when you're going through puberty, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you don't fit in your body. Yeah. I'm like gangly and you're like, ah, you know, and like, you're like, I like girl waves at you and you're like, Hey, you know? uh, it's, it's kind of like that. There's like a, a weird, like, cause you're not really in your, in the body that you previously identified with. Um, your perspective, uh, in space has shifted as well because you're experiencing an expanded sense of space and time is a little different 
Yeah. Um, so like your, your normal psychological cues for time and space and sense of self have shifted. And so, uh, and this is where it gets debatable for me is, uh, whether or not that's healthy. Um, you know what I'm saying? And it's not that your emotions go away because your emotions are still there. They just don't overshadow that sense of self. You may even feel emotions on a deeper level. Okay. Right. Cause it's like, it's like when you think about like, think of it when you think of like a, a quote or something like someone yells a quote at you. Like I'm trying to think of what's the famous one, like the Kennedy quote, ask not what you can do for yourself. Ask what your country can do for you or whatever that thing is. Right. And you think about it and you're like, uh, you know, you just kind of get it intuitively or whatever. You're like, Oh, like, you know, you should be selfless and work for your country or something. You know? And then, uh, then your mind, maybe like maybe a month later, you hear that quote again. You're like, you hear some little insight into it. Yeah. You know? And then like over time, like it kind of like blows your mind. You get to a point with it and you're like, what the fuck? Dude? Like he was like, you know, be completely selfish. You know what I'm saying? Like he got it. And it's, it's being like on that level on the front end. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like you're on that subtle level of awareness on the front end. So like when someone's talking to you, you're seeing it on, on a level cause your mind's operating on that level. Cause you're only see you only see and interpret crap from the level once you can see and interpret crap. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it's like, uh, so that's, that's where it gets weird cause you're experiencing a new level of yourself and interpreting things in a new way. And, it has to be, I think for it to be sustainable, it has to be done kind of gradual because mm. if, if, if it happens to you, however the hell it happened to me, it was such a big shift, right? Like one day I'm just this idiot making films with a bunch of people yelling at me and just like I'm going bass fishing. And then the next day, like I'm some enlightened motherfucker, like what the fuck? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that's a big shift and I don't think it happens like that normally I don't mm. think it and I think if you could gradually take people through that process uh and see how that happens um and and I think to sustain it you have to grow the neurons to sustain that so uh the process for that the technology side of that like the transhumanist so there's there's the two sides to it, expanding awareness and extending life right and so I think of it, and there may be some more formed way that transhumanists have come up with to categorize this, but this is just my personal way of categorizing it. Yeah. Is, um, is, uh, so on each, each of those things, the, the life and the awareness, uh, there's, I can think of it in four different levels, right? So let's do the meditation and then we'll do it into the life because life extension. Cause I, uh, I know less about that. So with the expanded awareness, um, like the first level of technologies are like meditation, like meditation, yoga, maybe some diet and exercise to, you know, cause if, cause if you're not in shape, your nervous system can't sense as much and your nervous system is connected to your brain. It's how you feel and it's how the whole system operates. Uh, and so like, um, some levels like that diet, exercise, meditation, yoga, 
just basic, basic things. Like there's like the push up level, right? You can do these things. And then uh, the second level is maybe working from the outside in, if that makes sense. So like, uh, um, so like you can think of, I have like an EEG device that I put on. Okay. And you can, you can stimulate and you, and you can read the brain waves when you meditate. Right. So, but they have some devices that actually supposedly make the brain waves coherent. And then you can do that through sound technologies. Oh, those uh, binaural beats and stuff. Binaural beats is, is one of them. Uh, and so like there's, there's and light flashing and uh, some things like that that can stimulate outside the body. Right. Okay. And so that's one, that's one level of it. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to uh, develop a technology that helps sustain that, speeds it up, and then helps sustain it, right? And so, so maybe, that, maybe those speed that process up. Uh, like a deprivation tank, I think, is probably one of the best ones, right? So you sit in there and you cut off the senses, you know, mostly you still got to smell whatever the Epsom salt crap and, and you got to put earplugs in. But the feeling thing is huge because you lose your sense of that, that floating sensation is closer to that expanded sense of awareness instead of a strict gravity situation that it's a timeless, spaceless environment where that sense of self is. And so that deprivation tank, the floating kind of puts you there, your body there naturally and releases you from that limiting sense, right? A feeling and stuff and your sense of your center, your uh, center of gravity and all that. Um, and so um, that would probably be like the best one at that level. So it's like level two. And then the third level is uh, of these technologies is chemicals. Right. So we have some like neurotropics, uh, various chemicals like that, that help induce heightened states of awareness, maybe make the neurons grow faster, which is like they're finding with microdosing with LSD uh, that the neuroplasticity may increase. Um, so something like that, that increases neuroplasticity, some chemical that increases neuroplasticity. And that one's still kind of you're starting to get into the fence line stuff, right? To where we don't know enough about it. It may work, may not work. Mm. Um, you know, there needs to be more research and people need to test it out more and things like that. Um, and, and then when you go to the next level, I'd say this is the fourth level and this is where we're actually looking and where I think results will actually really start to happen. And we're not there. Uh, when we get there, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out. And so like, uh, and I'm promoting, but like um, that's when you have a technology like some little nanobot that you put into the brain and either helps neurons grow faster or sustain a particular experience. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Uh, that's so, so that that's, yeah, yeah. So like, you know, what that looks like, whether it's a nanobot or a helmet you put on or, uh, you know, I don't, I, what that specific technology looks like, I don't know, but the idea, that you could do that and you're putting some more and more invasive technology in the body with a, with that specific purpose in mind. And, and so that's kind of the, that's kind of the goal on that side. 
um, is to, so you can do two things. You can elevate and sustain that experience. So you can elevate that experience quicker. So like, you don't have to spend 20, 20 years as a monk, uh, in Tibet trying to sustain that experience. You can sustain that experience maybe in a a week or two, ideally or something, right? may take a year, year to be good, but like, uh, uh, so, so, and then, and then the other part of that is the sustainable part of it. Cause although you can have that experience and although, you know, these teachings and all these things may claim that you, you know, there's two ways of thinking about the enlightenment thing is, uh, one way is once you're enlightened, you're fucking enlightened. Right. And you just are, and then it's over. You're, you you're an enlightened individual and <laughs> that's it. You're the man and you, you won the prize, buddy. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's one way. And then the other way is this dogmatic horseshit way of like, well, enlightenment's a process and uh, you experience it temporarily. And, and so like, neither are correct. Neither of those perspectives are correct. Both are horseshit perspectives. Uh, some people do sustain it. Some people do sustain it, but it's very hard. Uh, so if you could set it up, if you could set it up for people to sustain it, uh, chemically, uh, technologically, however, you see what I'm saying? So like maybe you wear the headband around and like you, you get in that state, you put the headband on and just like it sticks there. It keeps it resonating in the right frequency. And, uh, so why would you want to do that? Well, because our brains are capable of functioning at that level. Life is better at that level. And, that's really it. I mean, that's really it. Like you experience more of life. Hmm. And so the, and then the, and then the second thing, uh, or the second thing is the life extension in which I have less, less knowledge about or less ideas about. But if you think about it in the same context, you think of the first level is literally like doing push ups, exercise, diet. You know, we know that like if you exercise, and eat properly, you don't die from disease and you live a little longer. Right. But it's, but it's, it it can be significant. You know, maybe you don't die at 50 or 70, maybe you live to 80 or 90 or something. Right. 90 would be the top end. Uh, 80 probably actually the top end too, but whatever. Um, You know, it's, it's a short period of time in the scheme of things when you start looking at universal scales and how long the universe exists and crap like that. Silly. But like, um, you know, and you look at other forms of life, other forms of life can live longer. Uh, we've just evolved in a particular way that we're not useful after so many years. Like the resources are better left to the young. Screw the young. No. <laughs> the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, I don't want to die. Uh, the, um, the, what do you call it? The, uh, um, the next level is these outside in technologies again. Right. And so like things like, uh, you know, there's various things that make claims. Like I have a sauna, I sit in the sauna. Right. And so like heat stress proteins supposed to make you live longer. Uh, like in rats, they made them live like 20% longer or something. You know, it's, it's been whether or not it works, we hadn't had saunas long enough and done enough tests. Uh, but there's technologies like that where you're doing something from the outside in, like maybe you're doing cold stress therapy, uh, just machines that can help on that level. 
Okay. Um, and then the third, the third level is chemicals once again, right? So there's various chemicals that may be able to create less free radicals in the body and, and things like that, that, you know, uh, clean out the system and make it function a little better. And you get a couple of years there, right? Take a bunch of supplements. And then, uh, and maybe there's, there's, I think there's a lot that can be developed at that level, at the chemical level. And the answers may be there. I don't know. Uh, cause I don't know enough about this area. And the fourth is, um, once again, like the nanoscale type things where you're sending little bots in to replace parts of the body and you're constantly replacing and you're updating that system. You're basically building a human from the inside out, uh, a more sustainable, longer human and involving the physical structure to where it can live longer. And so that's, uh, and, and there's all these problems, phil philosophical problems that come up and stuff, you know, like, will we get smarter? Do we dissolve the, the species, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, let's, 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 let's at least get there before we start, you know what I'm saying? It's like, before you say no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, I, like, I don't want to, I don't want to go to the amusement park because maybe one of the roller coasters wheels will fall off. <laughs> so I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not going to the park. It's like, let's at least get the park and see if there's a, you know, maybe watch the roller coaster a couple of times and no one died. Let's get on. <laughs> you know? uh, so that's kind of where I am with it is like people who are just driven by fear and scared of the unknown. Uh, like the unknown excites the hell out of me, you know? Uh, that's the only thing really exciting, right? I already know the other shit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's. Uh, so do you chase the fear? That's kind of the idea. Do I chase the fear? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I think that's what drove me into meditation or drove me to going deeper into my own experience was like, I would literally like, um, you know, people are like sitting there like, Ooh, I want to have a good experience. I'm like, give me some love. No, I'm like, what the fuck's in my head? And they're like, what's going on? Why is this shit in here? What the fuck's behind that? You know, and look a little deeper. And, and, and like, you know, if, if this, all your fears come rushing at you, like, so be it, you have to be okay with that. And, and I think that's a hurdle. That's a mental hurdle. Yeah. Uh, I may not be that. Yeah. Yeah. I may not be that like that in, in my life with like mundane things like cleaning my room or doing the dishes, <laughs> crap like that. I have problems there, uh, which are real problems, but like, uh, the, going into that fear. I think I've always been driven fear driven in the sense that if something scared me, I wanted to say something or do something about it. It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like in Bible school, it's just uh, it's, I think it's it's losing the victim. Isn't it? Well, I, I don't know if it's the victim. It just, it just pissed me off. <laughs> I, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think I've ever fully developed like, an understanding of victimhood and, and, uh, and that whole, I understand the philosophy, but I don't know if I've like, I fully grasped it. But like, I remember as, as a kid, like people would, we'd, you know, I'd ask, we'd be in Bible school, just a little kid. And like, what the hell is that question? You know, I was questioning it from a, an early age and why people believed like probably the most profound, scary moment 
one of in my life was, uh, what, I don't know how long you want this thing to go or whatever, but I'm good as long as you're good. You start wrapping up. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was, uh, what do you call it? Um, or, and I, I look at, it, I don't ever think of it this way, but it was super influential was when I was a kid. Um, I got, I think it, it started, I got in trouble is what it was. Got me thinking about it. And I went to the principal's office and he told me a bunch of horseshit, why I shouldn't do something or, you know, I don't remember the, the situation, but he had a little, he had a little picture frame on his wall and it had like a proverb. I wish I knew what it was, uh, but it was some religious saying. And you could tell like this guy embodied that saying, like it was like, forgive others, be patient. It was like some weird religious saying uh, from the Bible. And I was like, this guy fully embodies that, but he's completely missing the point. <laughs> like he's completely missing the point with the discipline here. Like he just doesn't get it. Cause like maybe I thought I hadn't done it and other kid had done it or something. And so it got me really thinking about why people believe religion and things like that. And uh, I was like seven, you know, so everything was profound. Right. And uh, I, had this castle. It was like a, it was the Kmart version of Castle Grayskull from He-Man. Oh yeah, I used to love that. <laughs> and, and so I had that sitting on the back of my bed, on the back of my bed, and it's like my favorite thing. Although it was the Kmart version, it's like someday I'll get the real Castle Grayskull. But like, uh, it had a glow-in-the-dark skull on the front, cool. which was actually cooler than cooler than the real Grayskull. It's like this glow-in-the-dark skull, and like I was just staring at it. And like, I always, I love the damn, cause blue in the dark. I was like, that's the coolest shit ever. And, uh, uh, I was just looking at it one day and I was like, like, why the fuck is there a skull on the front of the castle? I like, it made no sense to me. I was like, why would they put a fucking skull up there? And then I like, I remembered this time I was at, uh, on my grandparents farm and I found a cow skull. And I remember having that realization that like, Oh shit. I got a skull. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a skull inside of me. Mm. And when, and when I die, there's just going to be a fucking skull. And I was like, that's, and then I thought of like pirate ships and how they put the skull up there. And I was like, Oh, so they're putting it up there as like a defense mechanism because people are scared of skulls. You know, my thought process of when that developed, but that's the idea. Mm. And I was like, so that's why they're scared. They're scared of death. And I was like, shit. And I was like, well, why are they? And I was like, that does suck. Like that kind of does suck. I was like, I don't want to die. But, but I was like, so how have people dealt with it? And I started thinking about it. And then that's when I realized fucking religion. I was like, that's what this whole heaven thing is. And like all these people. And then I started thinking about, I was like, you know, the, the guy with the most authority in my life, the principal, other than my parents, right. Uh, he believes this shit. And it's like a guiding principle and he lives to it and everything. And I was like, it's like this, like this is fucked up. And I was like, how, how big does this, how big does this go? And so I was like, who do I know who's smart and like has authority and stuff. So my mom came in to read me my bedtime story. And I was like, asked her about heaven and shit. I was like, so no, I asked her, I asked her, so what happens to us when we die? Just to see what her understanding was. Cause I had an understanding of it now. I was like, you know, and she told me the bullshit heaven story. 
and I, like it was it was the scariest moment of my life because uh, I was like fucking a the, the woman in charge of my life has no clue about reality um, everyone that I've probably ever met and anyone that I could imagine throughout the world believes this horse shit and we're kind of fucked. Like, like I was like, I was just like, it just set up a, a, a place where I was like, what world am I living in? Like, this is, it's a very scary place where the most fundamental problem of death, the idea is to fucking close our eyes and hope some bullshit happens when we die. Like that's, that's, the, that's your fucking solution. Like that's the solution the world's come up with. Like I, it was, it was fundamentally scary for me. And like, I didn't think about it in detail because it was so fundamentally scary for me. Um, and so I, you know, like I didn't talk to anyone about it and I probably didn't deal with it until I was in my early thirties. Like my, like when that guy came around with the transhumanism, that's when I kind of like, was like, okay, I can deal with this and start to really start thinking about it, looking at it. And, you know, and, and so like, and, and I've been looking for, you know, people with a transhumanist view and there's still not that many of them. Hmm. Like you do a, you do a Facebook search for, you know, like if I'm trying to target transhumanists to meditate. Right. So that was the initial idea was to target just transhumanism. And like the target research. So you're wanting to re- refine your target research, like start it, start it like how many ever million. And then you want to get it down to less than 200,000. Right. And then get that niche. So like males, white, uh, from the South, you know, you start narrowing it down, looking for a specific demographic, uh, through that, uh, London real Medi- uh, the London real, business accelerator this is the technique they are teaching you to to market to people with and just looking up transhumanists as a whole there's they're already less than that biggest category than the smallest category no way all over all over facebook you know what i'm saying so it's like in one respect and that may just be people just don't identify with it and you know there's a whole lot of factors and variables it could be but uh it's kind of it, it's a little depressing in that, in that sense that like, and, and the word transhumanist and the philosophy is a bit extreme. I'll give it that. But the two ideas of wanting to expand your awareness and, and live longer, I think should be pretty, pretty basic to the human experience. I don't think it's being sold. Um, like with, with the films that we've seen from Hollywood, have you seen, have you seen Lucy? Uh, I don't think I've seen, are you talking about the ape? Or... Yeah, yeah. It starts off with the ape, uh, but then it's, uh, I can't remember. I think her name's Scarlett Johansson's in it, uh, and basically, she, she if, uh, they try to blend her with the machine. That's that's okay. the story. But it's 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 not giving you a very positive aspect of. The capability. It, it, it gets scary, and it's gonna. It gets scary and fear robots in the future, right? That type. Well, I could see. I I took it as quite a positive film, but I could see people easily putting a spin on it. Well, if she can do that, then well, basically she's unbeatable because she's okay part of the network. Yeah, that's the goal. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
And that's scary for people to, because their sense of self is so small. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what it is. Like your sense of self, if, if there's levels of sense of self, like, you know, clan level, group level, collective level, and then some getting closer to some enlightened level. And most people are very much still in a clan level of awareness. Um, and well, can I ask what yeah, you think? And so it's like, what, what, what keeps us in that state? Uh, fear and stress, stress. Um, so like if, if you have, so you need some, uh, so it takes time. It takes time and it takes, uh, a safe space to generate those levels of experience. And luckily I was able to have that. And I don't know how to give that to other people. Like that's a hard thing you can't give, but to have that time and space to do these things and motivation, you have to have some motivation, but that takes some sort of resources, right? You got to feed yourself. You got to live in a house uh, or you got to have some shelter. You know what I'm saying? You got to have, you got to have some sort of uh, almost disposable income to be able to have that time and space. Cause you don't, cause if you have the stress of a kid, mm. you have the stress of your job demanding, you know, life has a lot of stresses that are put onto you uh, that may not allow you the time or the energy to, to, to take these pursuits. And so like if throughout history, we've had people who become yogis and, uh, monks and and things like that uh, or uh, priests doing a shitty job of it but whatever the uh, but but people who have or, or even like uh, wanderers or or things you know people who have stepped outside of like Thoreau and uh, who's yeah. the other guy David Thoreau and Emerson like that stepped outside with mm-hmm. they were just reading Sanskrit the old Vedic text and so like uh, who have stepped out and had these experiences and people do have these experiences both randomly um, and in nature. You'll find people out in nature. They'll have these experiences and people have them in church, you know, cause that's the space they feel safe in. They're already halfway meditating. They're closing their eyes and connecting to something that they think is outside of themselves, but they're just connecting to some deeper sense of self. Right. Uh, it's just the, uh, the, the narrative and the theology or whatever behind it is not, it's not that it's not correct, but it's, 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 there's the saying of being uh, factually incorrect, but mythologically true or something. Right. And so it, it is like, it's, it's experientially true. They are having those experiences. I don't think you can, deny that. I think you can measure in the brain that when people pray and when people meditate and various things, different parts of the brain are stimulated and you're having some type of experience. Hmm. But what that experience is and what it's used for are different, very different, right? And from one perspective, it's part, it's, it's an experience that you need to evolve as a person experientially, but that also has effects on evolving the brain, right? From another place, 
It's just touching someplace. The, that, that touching of the infinite is, is God. And that's the thing that designs my worldview. And that's the thing which is a false worldview. Right? It's a false worldview. It's it's factually false, mythologically true. Uh but the problem is, you know, you can say things like it's okay for everybody to believe whatever they want. Right? Yeah. Uh but but say we're out on the ship of Thaddeus, right? Yeah. They were out on the ship we're out on the ship of Thaddeus, right? And the boat's going down, because this boat is going down. Right. And I have some people on my left and one's an engineer. Another one's a very good carpenter. Right. And there's some boards and shit. And they say, Hey, uh, I look over at them and they're like, Oh, I bet I can. The engineer's like, dude, what we got to do is patch the hole. And the, the carpenter's like, dude, I think I know how to patch holes. And I look over here on this other side and fuckers are looking up to the clouds and they're like, uh, Bacchus or, uh, or, uh, Thaddeus or, you know, whatever the fucking God of the time is, please come down and help us. Well, I'm probably going to, kick that some bitch overboard because he's, he's bringing us down faster and start talking to the car- carpenter and the freaking, uh, and, the engineer, uh, engineer, right? Cause, cause they know what's going on and they're looking at the, co- the problem correctly. And that's when your myth, uh, is no longer useful. And so we're reaching a point where those myths are becoming no longer useful because we're developing technology and we're seeing, problems that we can solve right and or that are in in the reach of solving we're at least understanding the problems our heads aren't clouded completely with these false myths and and so that's that's where it becomes an issue right you're able to believe what you want until it starts infringing upon my it's like a libertarian type of view right like whatever that little circle is i don't know how you explain it but like it's uh because i don't really like politics 100 percent. but like there's the idea of like there's four quadrants and a circle and uh yeah i don't really know the idea right now but it's basically you can have you have the right to do what you want until it starts invoking upon my rights to do what i want um, okay you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I have a right to do, do what I want up until a point to where I am invoking it onto you. And, um, and you, you see this, this is, you see some of this in science and technology, uh, and political policy and things like that. It's, it's probably not good to focus completely on the negative, but it's good to avoid it, figure out what it is so you can avoid it. Um, so like one thing is like one thing with, uh, religion and, misunderstandings that has directly affected my life. And this is where I started to understand uh, that, you know, you can't let people just believe shit uh, when it's shit uh, is uh, I, I was stabbed and had my right sciatic nerve cut in half. Right. So I lost most, most of use of uh, function, not use 
below the knee. As you go further and further down the foot, I lose more and more function. I have drop foot, so my foot, it'll, I'll push down, but I can't pull up. Okay. Right. And so I had, so I had some surgeries to reconnect the nerve, took a nerve out of this leg and stuck it over here and rewired it and kind of took a little bit. But the technology that would have helped me at the time uh, was stem cell research. And this was around 2002, 2003, early, you know, a while ago. I think, I think it's about the right time. Maybe, maybe earlier, maybe like 2001 or 2000, somewhere in there. I think around 2000. But anyways, um, so this stem cell research was just emerging at the time. And I was like, there, there's a little bit of hope there. Uh, but the government was putting restrictions on it and there still are some damn restrictions on it. Right. And the restrictions were religious. They're fundamentally religious is why they they exist. Uh, cause it's the belief that every baby has is a soul. Uh, and you're murdering and it's based on, it's based not on the science. Because like science says that it hasn't it hasn't developed enough to have a nervous system and to that you know like it hasn't developed enough to be conscious, and that's the science right. But on the religious and mythological side, it's based on fairy tales and beliefs that aren't true, right? They're just based on a belief. They're not based on any factual evidence, and so uh, that's a direct slowing of that technology that maybe I'll have to live with for the rest of my life. Because if that, if I'd have been able to get stem cell injections, potentially I could have, you know, and I'm not saying it would have taken or whatever, but it's, it's an insight. It was an insight for me to see how those beliefs, how beliefs can directly uh, hold back progress and uh, stifle uh, human progress. Right. Absolutely. And have, yeah. So that's, uh, and, and you have, you have this type of crap, um, on all different levels. Right. Um, you know, on all type of levels, like, yeah, it's, so it's, it's, it's disconcerting in, in that regard. Um, and so it's not useful to sit around and like protest and, and from my opinion, right? Yeah. Protesting and, and, and complaining and fighting the negative, the thing that you're not, you're spending, you're wasting your time fighting a force that is, is not in the direction you want to go. So the so you just go in the direction that is where you want to go. It's like uh, like you're driving NASCAR, right? And if you if you're looking towards the wall, where are you going? You're going into the wall. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> just drive where you're driving and stay on track. And so it's not necessarily useful to go down there, but you need to know where that wall is so you don't drive into it. Uh, but you don't need to let it preoccupy you. Um, so finding more of the folks who are moving in that direction uh, or moving in the direction of, of uh, those two goals uh, are what I'm looking for and trying to promote. That's, yeah, that's, that ties perfectly in with 
with with my aim as well. I mean, you've touched on uh, beliefs that the, the opening gambit for the, the the podcast is the fact that the stories we tell ourselves are what keep us restrained in life. So, join me, and you've been there, you've lived it, you've seen how these things can negatively impact and hold people back. So, uh, I think that's a pretty powerful story you've got there. Thank you. You need to get uh, it out there, Barrett. Uh, yeah. Well, you're helping me. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. How did how did how did um how do you feel getting it over? Does it feel natural, or is it easy for you to talk about, or is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've uh, I like to talk. Uh, you know. Um, I'll, I'll sit and talk and tell stories to anyone who'll listen. Um, you know, I mean, like my, like one of my, my first real heroes was a storyteller named Ray Hicks. Uh, he's, he, they started the national storytelling festival mm-hmm. around him in, in Jonesville, Tennessee. And he was, I remember going there as like a 12 year old kid. And I looked, uh, there was just like, you'd go to these little tents and they'd be telling stories like a little town up there in, in the foothills of the, uh, uh, the Appalachian mountains and like um, you just be, you'd see people listening and adults and stuff. And I was like, damn, there's a lot of adults listening. And then I went to this one tent and there was like thousands of people like overflowing the tent. And like people were laying down with their eyes closed, just listening to this story. I was like, what, who, who is this guy? What's going on? So like I started you know, climbing over adults going in trying to figure out who was in the tent. And, uh, I look up there and there's this slack jawed yokel local with his freaking overalls on and one of them pudge faces, you know, don't go in like them real mountain people. And he's just up there going, Ram, I was like, what the hell? I was like, how are they listening to this idiot? Like, what is going on? Like, who, what is he saying? Like, cause I couldn't understand his ass. And uh, I was like, I got to meet this guy and I got to figure out what's going on. Cause like, I want to be able to do that. Like that's, that's where it's at. And, uh, my dad, I think my dad made me go introduce myself to him. I don't know what he said. Like I shook his hand and I always, you couldn't understand some bitch, but, uh, I mean, I, I since back and listened to him and like, he just tells Jack and the beanstalk stories. Okay. And, like, uh, they're, they're freaking like you're transplanted in time and space back to like a medieval day. Cause like he was telling those old, old Jack and the Beanstalk stories. And, and uh, like you, you would be in medieval times, like walking next to a castle, listening to like when he would tell a story, you're just like, damn, like, you know, and it was just, and there wasn't like anything amazing about him, but it was, I, you know, it, I think it was, he just spent a lot of time in nature and, you know, kind of connected, you connected to him on a deeper level. And, and that's the thing with like meditating and expanding your awareness is like I said, you can only connect to the level that you have. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that's why, like, that's why you get this phenomena of like cults and religions and, and crap like that. Cause that, that one individual has, he's embodied that maybe, maybe. You know, he, he gets to that level of brain functioning uh, or, or at least people believe it or, you know, and they want to be closer to that and they're wanting to be closer to 
that, but they're looking in the wrong direction. Uh, the only way to get closer to it is within yourself. And so, um, I can, I can see like, you know, people talk about charisma and you can do it in different ways, like charisma and things like that. And so like, if you develop that expanded sense of awareness within yourself, you can connect to people on a deeper level because you, you are on a deeper level and you're connected to yourself on a deeper level. And that's very attractive uh, to people who are not experiencing that. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, it's a weird phenomena. Um, and so, yeah, like I think, I think that, and you can tell a story better, right? The more awareness you have of, of a thing and it's not just logical awareness. You need some of that. You need to know the structure of the story and when to tell it and stuff like that. But like that timing, like you can feel the crowd better because your nervous system's a little cleaner and mm. maybe a, a little more sensitive and feel what they're doing and, and things like that. Some very practical things. Uh, and then time and, you know, so like, you know, like, uh, like co- comedians talk about timing, right? Like, cause when you, you feel the crowd and, and that you, so it takes uh, multiple things there. One, you have to have some level of awareness and two, you probably need to experience it a lot. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I think it, it helps all things. And I think telling stories, it would definitely, definitely help with. That's cool. Okay. Um, I don't want to go into the questions. I think we've, uh, I think is it would it be okay with you if he left it as um as your story rather than go digging into questions because I'm gonna cut this you know I can cut the so it's your story and I'll cut it into different blocks. Okay, yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe get rid of that uh, part of the beginning where I was. Uh, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I'm trying to put on the headphones. And, and okay. Like yeah, no problem. I can do that. Um, yeah, that was fascinating, mate. That was really, really fascinating. Can we, can we stay connected? Because I'm, uh, I'm definitely interested in your work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, where, where are you at in London? Uh, I'm Wales, UK. Uh, Wales, yeah. Or Wales. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was over there. I came to the London Real thing. The graduation. Or so ago, or something. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a good time. First time ever going that far over yeah i've uh, been to mexico and peru and stuff like that but never uh to europe and uh and then went and then i went to eh, london is okay like it's a big city so it's, a city. <laughs> it's a city you know what i'm saying like, <laughs> like people pe- people aren't meant to be that close together uh it just it doesn't feel natural it was as far as cities go it's a super nice one and it was friendly to me and everything uh although i don't think anybody was from london uh, no. <laughs> everybody spoke a bit of different language. It wasn't, wasn't British. Uh, and, and then I went to, I went to Scotland uh, for a few days and stayed in the uh, Leslie family castle. Uh, so, okay. and that was, that was, that was really where I was going. Like that was it's pretty uh, cool. That was awesome for me. Like, Oh yeah. So I got to uh, stay there for a few days, take a plane ride over Scotland and uh, catch a trout. Ah, cool. Fun. On the fly. What's that? On the fly. Fly fishing. On the fly. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They had a, 
so I don't fly fish. So I was, so, so you have to like pay money to go to these rivers or something over there. And like, I, I didn't understand the process and you had to like set it up months in advance. So none of that happened. So, so I was like, uh, um, yeah, I don't get all that regulation and stuff, but you know, the land is super nice. Uh, but, but they had like this place where you like, they stock them and you got like all these trout and, uh, I sat out there and they had huge trout and I would, you know, I got the fly rod dude showed me how to use fly rod and I was casting or whatever. And I spent, I was out there the whole damn day and caught nothing. And I was watching, I was watching everyone else there do the same thing. Like people show up, they'd come, they'd be a couple hours. They, that group would leave. I'd still be sitting there like, damn, I'm not leaving Scotland without a fucking trout. And, uh, I was just, you know, my ass has had sunscreen burning up. Uh, uh, eventually these two guys show up and I think they're calling they're carrying yetis like big ass coolers they got like all the gear on and stuff and like they show up and they're loud and like drinking beer and shit I'm like I'm trying to catch a fish here you know what I'm saying and like and like I, I look away and like within like 30 seconds or a minute or so of them being there they're like just pulling big ones out I'm like son of a bitch and I'm over there watching them like how and they're being loud and cussing and yelling and damn it like I'm out here trying to have a like a spiritual experience catching trout in Scotland, buddy. And uh, you know, so I was getting pissed and I was about to leave. And, I, and they came over and just started fishing right in front of me. And I was like, son bitch, I'm leaving. And uh when I started to leave, they asked me a question and we started talking. I was like, I hadn't caught crap. And they were like, here. And they're like, here, try this. And he gives me his rod and shows me how to catch the fish. And then like they set their rods down and we're just like, you know, we want to see you catch fish. We don't give a damn about us catching fish. So and like I, I hooked a few huge ones and then they got away. And then eventually I, I caught one, pulled it up and they, they had a great time because it was, they were more excited about me catching the fish than I was at that point. That's cool. Like, yeah. yeah. And so like, it, you know, they're like, you, they were thinking I was going to catch another one, throw it back. I was like, nope. I'm like, I'm taking this one with me. <laughs> I'm eating this sucker. I ain't, I ain't waiting on the next one. And, uh, and so like they gave me a little hammer, like yeah. a little, and then you knock it over the head and kill it. And, uh, and then some girl cleaned the fish for me. Like I took it over there and I was like, and she's like, she's like, do you want to clean it or something? I was like, uh, not really, but I will, you know, that was my plan. And she's like, I'll clean it and just starts cleaning it. And I was like, all right. And so then they cooked it back at the castle for me. And I was like, so it was a pretty good experience. I mean, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was good. So you, got, you didn't get over to Wales? No, I was only there for, I stayed in Scotland for three days and like uh, London three or four days. So I was there for about seven days total, six or seven. Awesome stuff. So, so, so yeah, what's, the, good. what's the plan for the rest of the day now? Are you, what time you got there? Uh, it's like four o'clock. So uh, I got a yoga class at like seven. Uh, my plan is to work on some of this stuff. And then I got a couple of things around the house. I have a to-do list. I don't remember what I'm supposed to do. So I have like a, I have to have a to-do list. There's like, I just do like, uh, like cleaning and fixing stuff. I have a whole, I'm trying to track my tasks. Yeah. So that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. I'm trying to figure out like my routine and tracking it. Uh, so, you know, the, to be successful in the morning or whatever, that's partially it. But, uh, one of the one of the most important things I think is 
so you can think there's so like my first video goes through this uh so like you think there's three major states of consciousness right i mean there's more but whatever uh there's waking uh dreaming and then deep sleep right and so um you can kind of sit there and experience and you know what those experiences are because you've had them. So like awakening, you're just awake and alert and then dreaming, you're having some uh, different time and space, abstract space, and then deep sleep, like you're not experiencing anything. So uh, the, f but the transition between going between those states of consciousness is a little tricky. Okay. So like I give you a little exercise, I give you a little exercise on how to go between those experiences so like you have the so most people experience two uh, there's two different types right like waking to sleeping right so like that falling asleep state and then the waking up state where you're coming from sleeping or dreaming into wakefulness right so i'll walk you through like a little way to kind of you know just you just basically imagine that go back to that place where you experience it so like just imagine you're falling asleep close your eyes and you can feel what it's like to fall asleep and then you feel what it's like to be asleep and then just kind of imagine like some light behind your eyes and slowly waking up right and so you kind of you kind of know what that experience is so like the first thing the first goal for the class or whatever is to just be conscious of that when you're waking up in the morning Okay. Right. So, so you, you probably experienced it best when you were a little kid. So like, so, so like when you're waking up, like maybe there's a sound, like a little bit of light in front of your eyes or maybe your body moves in a little way, but there's that moment where you become conscious, but you're still not awake yet. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a bigger process and, you know, it takes you a while you get in the shower or whatever you do, but like, uh, that's your first conscious moment that you're aware of, right? That's your first conscious moment. And I'm saying like, just tap into that and become aware of that. And uh, the bigger idea is I don't really go into it, but the bigger idea is that once you expand your awareness to a certain level and your brain is functioning at that level of awareness, uh, there's no drops. There's no drops in your awareness. Right. So it's a continual experience of awareness. And so like this, this loss of consciousness that we experience every fucking day. Right. Like, like what were you doing last night? Like I was murdering people in Zimbabwe on the back of a rhinoceros upside down on a purple, you know, like that, that's what people experience some crazy shit at night. Right. And then like, uh, and then there's just no consciousness and then you don't remember and you just pretend like, I mean, that's the one of the craziest things to me is like, there's no constant understanding of reality. And like, it, it gets so bad to the point to where it's like, what were we doing five minutes ago? And, you, and, and that's like, that's something that just doesn't exist for you. Like it just doesn't exist. And you're like, holy shit. Like there's not a steady stream of experience that's occurring. It's like, it's, it's literally only steel frames. Yeah. that people have and they only have that one moment and then once they fully live in that moment they see that that moment is it's just one continual moment it's not a 
that's just the way that we experience time and space and things like that uh, experientially. It's not to say, and this is, that that's uh, one thing that I should mention there is just because you experience it a certain way does not mean that's how reality is. And that's where I think a lot of mystical and pseudo bullshit comes from, right? Like, as you say, well, I'm experiencing this, so that's reality. Yeah. Uh, like, like that's not true. Like, uh, just because you're experiencing everything as oneness, it doesn't mean that everything is connected in that way through physics or uh, things like that. No, it may be, it may be your, yeah, it may be your experience, but so, but objectively, that may not be the case. Yeah, it's a, it's a perspective, so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, like, uh, um. I'm trying to think of, uh, I, I I don't know, like there's a, there's a bunch of pseudoscience out there and that's where you're ultimately categorized as, and that's the place I'm trying to get away from is, uh, you know, there's, cause it's, it's a, a paradox because these experiences are real, but it doesn't mean that the experience defines reality. Yes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just just because just because I can feel at one with someone in front of me, right? It doesn't mean that there is a physical process that we are actually one. No. Right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely, yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't Yeah. So This is what I was alluding to earlier on when I said to you about the victim was only because I can relate, I used to be have a victim mindset going on. But when I shifted the victim mindset to a, for better purposes, a growth mindset, where there is no failing, there's just learning, it allowed me to change the perception of my life. Because before that, I was like, oh, is this it? This is shit. Do you know what I mean? Is this all it is? I'm halfway through. It was very, very negative focused. But when I could shift my perspective, I was then able to see all the bleeding opportunity that was in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. So my, I, I redefined my reality through my perception as I see it anyway. Yeah. That's, that's uh, like uh, your mindset is, is another aspect. that's very important. Right. So, so like uh, the, the mindset of love and peace and these types of things are, are kind of like a byproduct. I think it's like you generate some chemical, um, okay. but a mindset of like, I guess we're talking about the victim mindset. Um, so like in defense classes or, or things like that, uh, the, the mindset is, is not to be the victim, to be able to defend yourself to a certain level and to be aware of, your environment and to yeah. not put yourself in a, an environment to where you could be a victim. Right. Yeah. And, and then, and then, and then ultimately when you're in that situation to know how to fight and have the mindset to end the fight or uh, not as a victim. So, so like uh, you with awareness, it's the same type of thing. You kind of have to view everyone as, is trying to steal your awareness, okay. right? Everything, even yourself. You're the worst perpetuator of it, actually. Uh, your thoughts, your feelings, all these things are actually the worst perpetuator of stealing 
uh, your own awareness, right? Sitting there and worrying about, uh, you know, will X, what will, will some girl or some dude or some person or some situation think poorly of me or, you know what I'm saying? Something like that, having some, and you're just, you're, it's, it's taking physical energy to, to have those thoughts. So it's taking a very real thing from you, but it's taking away your sense of self and, and everything like that. And your own awareness It's stealing your awareness. I mean, there's people who are, who make careers out of this, like advertising, uh, storytelling, and uh, that have gone in a direction to steal your awareness. Uh, and, and a lot of time feeds you misinformation. Uh, but um, approaching it from a defensive perspective. So you sit, you meditate to get stronger so that you're building enough awareness so that when these outside forces come in, you have a, a strong enough shield to stay within your own awareness so that you're grounded within your own awareness. And so you're creating like enough energy, enough, literally enough energy, enough neurons firing in a particular direction so that they're not uh, offset to uh, to shitty thinking, uh, which leads to shitty actions and stuff like that. Yeah. And so that's, so, so taking on a, so that's, so as far as getting over the, the victim part of it, that's what you're, uh, that's kind of the mindset I'm, I'm trying to move towards is the reason I meditate is to build a defensive mechanism against, uh, myself and everything beyond that, that would, steer my awareness away from proper functioning or whatever, you know, like it's, 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 it's a different mindset. Like it's making sure that, uh, like uh, attack of memes or attack of the what ifs you ever, you ever heard that, that poem by, uh, uh, Silverstein, right? Like what if attack of the what ifs or whatever, uh, that's that's the thing. It's like the what ifs freaking attack your mind, and it's like uh, it's it's a disease. You can think of it as a disease that steals your awareness. And so, what happens is when your awareness is is not focused that way, the uh, I would argue the brain isn't evolving correctly. It isn't turned on, and so I would argue that the brain isn't like fully engaged in the now and experience yeah, um, because of the stresses and things like that. You've taken what I, what I've sort of come to on my meandering journey through life, which is about when you've got children and job and people that may be pressure buttons in work, it's putting myself in a state that allows me to be less reactive. And I find that my morning routine, which is my yoga and my meditation is key. That's, that's no longer something I skip. <laughs> I, I have to do it because it puts me strong for the day, but you've taken that to another level. You've, I mean, you've, you've increased my awareness about what can be achieved with it. So, uh, thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, it, it seems like you just, what are you doing? You're just closing your eyes and following your breath. Like, yeah. You know? or, or listening to, <laughs> Uh, something on YouTube, 
you know, uh, something over and over. Um, I, uh... Yoga, it's, 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 it's no massive session. It's like 10 minutes yoga and then 10 minutes meditation. But like you said earlier on, <clears throat> after I've done the yoga, I'm more present. And then I listen to the meditation, uh, the woman talking. And every time I listen to it, I pull something more salient from it. That really, you know, and I've listened to this thing probably hundred times, and it's only ten minutes long. But every time I listen to it, I'm like, I open my eyes and say to my wife, I'm like, "Did you hear that? Did you hear what she just said? You know, how, how crazy is that? You know, and it's because obviously because I'm in a different, you know, a place mm-hmm. to take it on and understand it. Well, and 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 it's uh, something that I'm understanding more and more is. Uh, you know, I've seen it like trying to get over bad habits, right. right? It's easier, it's easier, it's easier to, it's easier to stop doing something to just start doing something, if that makes sense. So like, uh, instead of starting to exercise, maybe I just stop eating a little more, you know what I'm saying? Like stop eating, a, eat a little less, you know, maybe that's the first step. And so like the idea that I'm over here and I've got to go all the way over here and I just want to jump there. Uh, I don't think that's practical. And so like uh, I, the myth of uh, the old story or whatever it is of the uh, the two guys who uh, have like a competition to lift a bull, you know, that one. Yeah. And so like the, the one guy goes and he's just like lifting the damn bull and, and, and hurting himself and everything. And then there's the other guy who goes and gets a calf. He lifts the calf every day. And then over time, there's more and more weight and he can fully lift it properly and easily. And he beats the other guy or whatever. And so that's, that's the idea is like, uh, I got diagnosed with diabetes and last year and I had to lose a bunch of weight and I'm still losing some, but uh, I was at 260, no 275 and I'm down to like 205 right now. Oh, well done. Uh, yeah. And so like, you know, that's a very real thing. You got to reverse you know, your organs eating them and like longevity of life and all this crap. And so like, uh, when I started working out, like I was so weak and worthless that, I mean, I'd been working out in the past, but whatever, started reworking out. Uh, I would go to the gym and like, I just didn't have the motivation and I was weak and fat, all this stuff. And so I was like, I'd go sit in the sauna. I was like, dude, I can sit. I can knock that shit out. Like I'm, I'm a pretty good sitter, <laughs> you know? So like I'd go sit in there for like, you know, start out five minutes and work my way up to like 30 minutes. And then that, you know, got me to at least a healthy state to where I could do the next thing yeah. you know, and, and start lifting some weights and now yoga. And, and so like, that's a very hard thing. Uh, like what's his name? Jocko, you know, Jocko. Willink. Like I listened to, yeah, like I haven't watched most of them, but everybody on these things is into him. So like I should watch some. And so uh, him and he has this black guy on there. I don't know if that's his buddy or it was on this one. I don't know. I thought they were like a team, but like, yeah, this, this thing may die soon, but uh, I'll, I'll tell this one. We'll end it. So like uh, um, I'm watching him and they're talking about this process of like getting back in shape and they're like talking about different approaches and they're like the black guys, like I give myself a day to cheat. Cause they're talking about staying in keto, which I've been staying in. And he's like, uh, I give myself a day to cheat. And Jocko's like, I don't give my shit. You know, like I don't, 
I don't, I don't give any damn, uh, freaking, you know, you know, double WWF voice or whatever. And he's like, you know, I don't, I don't do that. I'm strict or this, you know, and I thought he was like, yeah, but then I talked to some other people and they find that, you know, if they kind of work their way to it, like, you know, maybe eat a little less junk food, like stop drinking sodas and then, you know, only limit, you know, fast food till like one day a week or something and then slowly work off of it. And he's like, ah, oh, I can't do that. Oh, you know, like that's, that's weak and shit like that. And, and like, I'm listening to the black guy, like, dude, that's exactly what I did. Like I, I took the laziest fucking approach you could like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what did I do? Like I didn't order fries with my cheeseburger for like a week. And I thought that was awesome. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. No, like you, I, I, yeah. You've touched so, on something there, definitely. You know, and so like you got to start where you're at, and then the problem the problem I have is is the, you know, like Jocko, it's like if if you've been at this place, right? Like he's you know super fitness, super disciplined, been doing it for however long, it's hard for him to relate to that guy, who is not doing that. You know what I'm saying? He's like, screw that pussy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, and so it's it's the same type of thing. Like uh, that's the perspective I'm struggling with is, you know, uh, not, not many people I come across are like, dude, I want full blown enlightenment. (laughs) You know, like they're like, I just, I just want my mind to be a little bit calmer so that like I can deal with my wife, the stress, my wife and kids and job put on me, you know? And I'm like, uh, okay, it'll do that. (laughs) <laughs> like it does that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, and, and I think you have to go through that process before you even consider those other things. Right. Like, I don't think many people are driven to just sit down with themselves and be like, what the fuck is in here? You know, like that's a, a kind of a scary thing, I guess. I know. I do know actually know one person that his story is very similar to the East dug into things. Uh, the way you have, um, and I'll put, I'll link, I'll connect you there because he got a podcast too. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, but the only other person I know other than him is me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it can't possibly be, you know, the two people I've met. There's got to be yeah, other yeah. out there. They're just not yeah. in our circles. That's what it is. Yeah, it's like I'm not that smart. Other people are figuring this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, brilliant stuff. Uh, Barrett, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a, a pleasure. You've certainly thank expanded my awareness. Thank you. Well, uh, yeah, so we'll stay in touch and uh, yeah, just send me a link or whatever when you when you do it. Okay, no worries. Um, do you want to tell the audience where they can get hold of you? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and my handle or whatever is Ballinks. That's B A L L I N K S. And then I have a website, uh, ballinks.com. And so if you go there, you sign up, you get three free videos and then a mailing list. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, enjoy your yoga class tonight. Thank you for your time today. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed talking with you, Joel. Thank you very much. No problem. You too, Barrett. Let's stay connected. Definitely. All the best. All right. See you, buddy. Cheers now. I hope you enjoyed the show today, guys. Please feel free to reach out and connect with me on Facebook under the Midlife Crisis Man.